A wise man once said, every journey begins with the first step. Come with me, my friends, as together we travel down the roadway of geekdom in our never-ending quest to find the joy and fun in what we love. However, our final destination may not be where we intended, for on this journey, tangents abound. I'm so glad I, to be back. Uh, welcome to episode 15. My name is Aaron Henley, and thank you all for joining me. Well, friends, again, I have to apologize. Real life got in the way, so I wasn't able to release uh, last week's episode, so I'm sorry. However, uh, for this week, it's a double-sized super special, so I hope I made up for it. <laughs> Also, if you understood where the reference for the opening theme number came from, you are a child of the 80s, and I salute you. <laughs> Tease a little weak. Anywho. <laughs> uh, also, friends, I do have to say one thing, and I'm, I'm going to be a little serious here. Personally, I do struggle with uh, chronic depression, and last week I kind of came down with a, an episode. However, what I do to help cope is I plug in an episode of Tangents Abound, and when I hear myself talk about something positive, it, it helps. Now, for that's my one of my coping mechanisms, but also, friends, there is no shame in talking to loved ones, uh, counselors, doctors, uh, trusted friends. So if you do struggle with depression, there's no shame in getting help, and I strongly encourage you to do so. And that's all I will say on that. I won't recommend any particular treatment, because that's... <laughs> I have absolutely no medical degree, so I can't... Uh, <laughs> I can barely recommend taking an aspirin, so how we deal with things is all on our own, but I appreciate... Uh, the fact that I have a positive place to go to, and I thank you all for coming with me on it. <laughs> okay. Well, there goes Harley. <laughs> oh, don't worry. She'll be back. She's got some plans for today's episode, friends. 
Alrighty. Well, <clears throat> I know I said that this week's episode would be covering uh, some of the things I enjoyed the most in StarCraft. Well, to be honest, after putting some things together and doing a bit more research for the show, I found out that I needed just a little bit more time to do some of the things that I want and to give you that I wanted to do, and thus that episode is going to be delayed uh, for a little bit. So I apologize, but uh, don't worry, it will be coming. <laughs> okay, my friends, well, since we have a big episode to get to today, um, I'm going to get right into the um, feedback portion of the show. I'm going to forego the libs and comments, but I have read them all. I thank you all so much, and I really appreciate it. So we have two emails to read today. First is by our good buddy Gene. So let me just find his email. I, <laughs> I had it. Oh, this is the problem. Uh, I gotta remember which one it was. <laughs> this is a good thing, though. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I w was reorganizing my uh, mailbox, and I kind of messed it up a little bit. Yeah, me and Gmail do not get along too well right now. Okay, there it is. Whew! Found it! <laughs> Okay, and this was uh, Gene's email, Saturday Morning Cartoons, Cowabunga. Hmm, I wonder what the topic is here. And Gene writes, Aaron, I remember watching the Heroes in a Half Shell more during the week than on Saturday. I think it was before school, but I did enjoy it. It was mainly silly fun. That, and it had April O'Neil, which added some interest to my young teenage self. Ah, so April was to Eugene what Andrea was to me. I s fully understand. Jean continues, I never considered April ditzy, though. She was a go-getting reporter of the Lois Lane variety. There were times that she saved the day from what I remember, so she wasn't always the damsel in distress. Oh, well, thank you, Jean. Um, and to be honest... I didn't really, like I said, know much about the 87 series, and most of the clips and things I've seen of April on the internet were the uh, damsel in distress, so I just made an assumption, and I apologize. Gene also continues, I did watch the first two live-action movies, but I didn't read any of the comics. Beyond that, I don't really know much about the Turtles and nothing about the version you talked about. You know, between you and Professor Allen and Emily Middleton, my to-watch list is glowing at an alarming rate. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that, Gene. It's, well, it's been, this has been my life since 2009, so... <laughs> There's a reason I now have a comic book and uh, movie collection. <laughs> Any show that pays tribute to Star Trek, the animated series, and 70s anime, even in a, in, even in a comedic sense, is worth a look. <laughs> Tangent time again. Gene, you... Okay. It's official. You are now my first semi-regular co-host. We were a Nielsen family for a year, so I kind of know how it works. What happened was that each family member, even our then very young daughter, had a user ID. When we watched TV, whether live or from the DVR, we would log into the Nielsen box. All that required was pressing the number button associated with our ID on the box. Then the box listened to the program and logged what we were watching. 
So there was a lot of front-end work setting up the account statistics, but then we just had to remember to push our button. I hope that helps. Gene. Oh, well thanks, Gene. That really did help quite a bit. But I do have a qu question I hope maybe you could answer later when you have time is if, you know, you would watch the show, would that lock you into the show? Because, you know, I like to channel hop, so, you know, I hate commercials, so I'll, I can usually time when I, my show's on. So just let me know if, you know, you could change channels while this thing was running. And Gene says, P.S., I don't envy you the editing job you had on the next episode. <laughs> well, Gene, actually, that was one of the best editing jobs I did. I had so much fun pulling those reboot clips, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Actually, I take that back. I know you did because of the wibbly-wobbliness of our profession. <laughs> I know you did. Okay, so that's it for Gene's email for this week. <laughs> he does have a couple others, but those are for later. And now I'm going to give you a... Now I have another email from my little sister, Vic Anya, and she, who also I'm planning on doing a special episode with. Uh, just to let you friends know, we are really into Mass Effect, the video game trilogy, and when the uh, right before the new game comes out. I plan on doing a special uh, review episode with her. So, just something to look forward to. Uh... And her email got buried. I really need to fix all this. I'm sorry, friends. I will be editing this out. That's one of the advantages of my being in control. Okay, here it is. And, and Viganya's email is... Reboot! Dear Aaron, a.k.a. Big Bro, a.k.a. The Dude. Now, to let you know, she was calling me The Dude, and we have never seen The Big Lebowski, so I've always been The Dude. <laughs> Reboot! Ah, how we love the show as kids. Alas, I was really little at the time, and don't remember much about it. Just that it was super cool, and Dot was amazing. Thank you and Jean for your great commentary on such a beloved TV show of mine and for letting me know that there is a place I can watch it again in all its glory. And I'd like to say something to Mr. Jean, if I may. Okay, Jean, turn off the high-speed high playback. I think you want to hear this. <laughs> Dude, you are super cool and amazing, and I am jealous of your nerd pedigree. And that is all caps and bolded, Jean. She is very excited. <laughs> and then she goes, ahem. <clears throat> Yes, a uh, very awesome episode, and I cannot wait to hear this week's episode. Keep up the great work, big bro. You're doing the family proud. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know about the family. I know I'm doing you proud. I still have yet to get mom to listen to an episode. Yeah, remember that Facebook game we played a little bit? And it was one of those, um, what's your first name? And it was, one of my answers was, what? No, wait, seriously, what's a podcast? <laughs> oh, that was a funny thing. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people have no idea what I do. <laughs> oh, well. I don't do this for the listeners. I do it for my friends, and I do it for the fun. Alrighty. So that will wrap up the note, the feedback for this week. So what are we going to cover in this super-sized episode? Well, a while back, there were a couple issues of a comic that I was really looking forward to. And, well, they came out, I read them, 
and I'm going to be talking about them because they are so much fun. Yes, fun in a comic book. When was the last time that happened? <laughs> so, here's a question before we get to the break. What do you get when the sons of the two greatest heroes of the DC Universe meet for the first time? Well, it's definitely a surprise, and there's a whole lot of fun. So, when we return, I'll be covering the newest issues of Superman, issues number 10 and 11. And for the promo, I'm going to be plugging one of my very good friends' uh, shows. However, they don't have an official promo. I sort of made one for them. I sent it to them, but I've never heard back whether or not they liked it. And in case they are listening, I'm going to use it because I want you guys to check out their show. They've been great friends to me, and I've actually sort of become one of their uh, regular feedback people. <laughs> so I, I hope uh, the podcasters don't mind, and in just a minute, I'll be right back. Two thousand eight. The prequel trilogy is over, and millions of fans are left without Star Wars. Enter a brave group of Jedi led by Dave Filoni, who brought tales of the Jedi, clone armies, and Mandalorians to Cartoon Network, thus keeping hope alive in the galaxy. Join Chris Honeywell and Hope Mullinex as they travel the galaxy covering the entire Star Wars The Clone Wars series with insightful discussion, commentary, and a few surprises along the way. Listen to Jay Guys and Jedi, the classiest Star Wars podcast on the internet, found at twotruefreaks.com. And remember... In my book, experience outranks everything. Okay, even though I... We are back. I didn't really left since I was the one narrating that promo, but I really hope they appreciate it. Uh, again, check out Jay Guys and Jedi. You can find it on the Two True Freaks website. Uh, they drop a new episode every Wednesday, and as of this recording, there will be one coming out tomorrow that I'm looking forward to. And also, they just released a kind of special Thanksgiving episode where we got to learn a little bit more about one of the co-hosts and her awesome geek mom. So, since I have a geek mom... Well, I should say, as me and Vikanya have a geek mom, and and she has a geek mom. Yeah, it's amazing how much our moms bring us into geek culture, and Jean has a geek mom. You know, we, we all need to raise our... Okay, all right, hold on, just a sec, tangent abound. I am raising my teacup to all the geek moms. We salute you, and thank you for bringing us into this world. And that can be taken in multiple ways, so thank you for all that. <laughs> oh boy, this is why I am single, friends. Alrighty. So, let's get into Superman, issues 10 and 11. The storyline is World's Smallest in the Name of the Father, parts 1 and 2. So before we get into the issue itself... I gotta go into a bit of background, because I had been so, as I mentioned, looking so forward to these two issues since they were announced, and again, I'm not gonna bury the lead, because it is freaking awesome, but, uh, well, 
there's a lot of background. So I'll uh, be right back because, Harley, it's time for you, my darling kitty. Cue up the music. One is from a world that no longer exists. The other was from a world of shadows. One was raised to be a model. The other was raised to kill. One has just discovered the truth of who he is. The other has accepted who he is long ago. One is hopeful and a dreamer. The other is a cynic and realist. Both are the heirs to legends. Both will become legendary. The fate of humanity will rest on their shoulders one day. They'll be up to the challenge, unless they kill each other beforehand. They are Superboy and Robin. Okay, so, here we go. There's a lot of background to cover, folks. Just to catch up on our favorite little Superboy, John, and the epic tale of Damian Wayne. So, first off, John, he has become the new Superboy and has been introduced to the Justice League as Superboy, and Damian Wayne, a.k.a. Robin, has gone from being an arrogant homicidal jackass to just being an arrogant jackass. So, you know, at least he's improving. Okay, so let's catch up with John from where we left him at the end of Arrival. Well, John has a new best friend named Kathy Cobb. She does know his secret as she watched him accidentally use his heat vision for the first time. Now, this was actually a very traumatic experience for John because it happened when he got angry at a hawk that had snatched his mom's pet cat, Goldie, and was flying off to have dinner. Unfortunately, there was a massive uncontrolled burst of power from John, and it sadly killed both the hawk and Goldie. And John felt awful, and rightly so, And but he didn't tell his mom at the time. But after a little one-on-one -on -one time and talk with his dad, he told the truth. And in an epic one-page splash of fields, we see the Kent family hugging each other at the grave of their beloved Goldie beneath the f family oak tree. Well, later, John is with Kathy on a tree branch, and... Uh, well, she accidentally, uh, or purposefully, you know, brushes against his hand. John, as a ten-year-old boy tends to do, goes either, ooh, cute, ooh, cuties, or, holy crap, a girl just touched my hand. And he sort of freaks out, and he accidentally crushes the tree branch they're sitting on, and knocks himself unconscious in the fall, but recovers quickly. Now, also, Kathy runs to her grandpa to get help, because one, she is very smart, and two, has been well-trained by her parents. Also, John and his parents helped stop a Kryptonian sentient archive device from eradicating John's human side while also freeing the billions of trapped Kryptonian souls within it and pretty much being declared by all of Krypton that both he and his dad are the true heirs of Kryptonian society before their souls went to wherever Kryptonian souls go, I'm assuming somewhere with their god Rao. 
And there was also Crypto the Superdog, so you know, I say any more about that. <laughs> oh, also, important note, Crypto's teeth can pierce even Superman's skin. I did not know that. That was a rather fascinating uh, part of the story, and I don't want to ruin it, because someone is going to be reading it very soon. <laughs> and as I mentioned before, he has been introduced to the Justice League as Superboy. And in a bit of downtime, he and his family had a great time at the Hamilton County Fair, where Kathy's grandpa won the dairy contest, John rode the roller coaster and had a blast, and I'm pretty sure Clark ended up sleeping on the couch for the next few nights, and then later on Lois had a few headaches uh, for a while. And I won't go into more detail, but if you're married, you know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, Clark was in the doghouse for a little bit. Well, the next adventure with John was he and his dad are at the uh, Fortress of Solitude working on John's science fair project and accidentally uh, ended up on Dinosaur Island and met up with some long-forgotten heroes of World War II, but, you know, they didn't make it back home in time for dinner. But we didn't have any word on whether John's science fair project won a ribbon. Well, you know, able to teleport across space and time to an island full of dinosaurs. Yeah, not worth a blue airman. I don't... I don't know what is. <laughs> okay. And now here's the fun part of the backstory, friends. Damien Wayne. And, oh boy. Let's see if I can condense about eight years worth of comics into a couple paragraphs. Here we go. <laughs> well, for those of you who don't know, Damien Wayne is the son of Bruce Wayne and Talia al Ghul, the daughter of Raish al Ghul. And, tangent... About time. I'm impressed that uh, Google Docs that I used to type up my notes, well, its spell checker didn't flag any of these names. So I am impressed by whoever programmed this spell checker. <laughs> now, Bruce didn't know Talia had ever become pregnant after their night together, so he was completely unaware of Damien's existence. Well, raised in secret by his mother and trained from birth by the League of Assassins, Damien had a early childhood life that made his father's, when he was the same age, look, you know, downright peaceful and sane. He was introduced to Bruce when he was about 10 years old. And he's now currently 12, 13-ish, it varies on who's writing him at the time. Now, Damien di didn't start out so well because my first and, to be honest, really only experience with him was the first uh, story arc he was introduced in. And in his first issue, he tried to claim the Robin mantle for himself by attempting to kill Tim Drake, the current Robin. Now, Tim Drake was my Robin, so I immediately hated this kid. Well, later on, at the end of that story, he following and following an explosion that nearly killed him, Damien is placed under the care of Dick Grayson, who had assumed the mantle of Batman. And don't ask about that, friends. We'll be here all night for that one. That's like two episodes of Tangents about waiting to happen. And, well, Damien actually starts to become a human being under Dick's tutelage, as well as the new Robin. Well, Bruce Wayne... Well, well Bruce eventually returns to being Batman, and Damien remains as Robin. Until he is killed in a battle at Wayne Tower as part of a twisted scheme of his mother's. And, again, don't ask, this is long enough as it is. 
Well, Batman then goes on a very long crusade across the entire DC Universe to find a way to bring his son back to life. Eventually finding a way, courtesy of Darkseid of all people, Damien is brought back to life and, well, a few more things happen. Most notably, he meets up with a young girl named Maya Ducard, who would become a costume adventurer named Nobody, and a giant red furry demon beast thingy named Goliath. And I can't wait to talk more about my new favorite red furry demon beast thingy. <laughs> so, in conclusion, the best thing that I can say about Damien is, well, now that he's gotten a quite a bit less homicidal, he's actually a pretty good kid. He's a vain, selfish, arrogant, spoiled jackass, but a good kid at heart, and Alfred's working on it, and I'm pretty sure that both Bruce and Alfred see that Damien is going to become the hero he needs to be. Eventually. Maybe. <laughs> now, also, one other thing, and this, this is a compliment to the character is, I want to go back and read everything he's been in so I get a better handle on this character because, like I said, he was one of the most despised things in the Batman universe upon his first appearance. But when he died, it was a tragedy. It was, I remember reading internet forums and articles and everyone was shocked and saddened by the death of this kid. So I was really uh, surprised at the turnaround. So I want to find out how that happened. So, DC, you know, if anyone from DC Comics listens to my little show, you have to be doing something right because I'm giving you a lot more money. <laughs> okay, well, I know that was a ton of backstory, and I appreciate you all getting uh, through it with me, and I apologize if you may have gotten a little lost, but hey, that's what the rewind button's for. <laughs> I do that a lot with some of my comic podcasts that I listen to. So, at least now we know where our main characters are, where they are, uh, their heads are at, and we can move on to the issues we're actually going to be covering today. <laughs> so, the good news is the credits for the issue are the same for both, so I can just go right into the issues. The writers for this stories for the story is Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. The penciler is also Patrick Gleason. The inker is Mick Gray. The colorist is John Calise. The letterer is Rob Lay. The assistant editor is Andrew Marino. And the editor is Eddie Berganza. Superman is created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And Batman is created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And tangent abound, I'm so happy that Mr. Finger is finally getting the credit he so richly deserved. Okay, so our story begins at Hamilton County Elementary School, where a young John Smith, <coughs> I'm sorry, uh, Kent, uh, and his best friend Long and Lang, uh, I mean Kathy Cobb, are leaving to enjoy Christmas break. Our story begins at Hamilton County Elementary School, where a young Jonathan Samuel Smith, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Kent, no, oh, oh, no, Smith, <laughs> he's going by John Smith right now. No, not, not the one who hangs out with Pocahontas. <laughs> uh, and his best friend, Lana Lang, oh, uh, excuse me, I mean Kathy Cobb, are leaving school to enjoy their Christmas break. 
Well, on the way out, John accidentally bumps into a girl named Maya. Kathy asks if she's a new student, and Maya just replies that she's simply running an errand for her little brother. John may be a little smitten with Maya, and Kathy may be a little bit jealous, but the two uh, friends start heading home, unaware that Maya is giving an update to a mysterious figure. And tangent about, yes, we have more mysterious figures. I love when mysterious figures arrive. <laughs> about the young... Superboy. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, on the way home, John and Kathy pass by a spooky swamp, which I'm pretty sure was straight out of a concept art for an unused scene in The Nightmare Before Christmas. And like the brave adventurer he is, John wants to go exploring. Kathy isn't quite that brave and sure, and she alludes to something that I hope we will find out later and keeps heading for home. All alone, our young hero gives us an epic shirt zip, and I'll explain that, trust me, and he heads into the swamp. Well, it doesn't take long for the new Superboy to start finding spooky happenings. Weird, uh, weird animal figures and with glowing purple eyes start appearing, and after f stumbling into a giant haunted moose, it's, that startles our young hero. He accidentally fires off a burst of heat vision and begins a small brush fire. And Smokey the Bear has started crying. Now, though he is stronger than a locomotive, he doesn't have his dad's invulnerability. So fire is a very big threat for our young hero. Much like the Martian Manhunter. Well... John is rescued by a young woman in a purple costume named Nobody riding a giant red furry demon beast thingy named Goliath, and it is awesome. Now, I wonder if Goliath is somehow related to the Goliath from Gargoyles, because in all honesty, he looks like the uh, he looks like a cross of that Goliath and Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yeah, I'm going to have to put a picture in the show notes just so you can see how awesome he is. But yeah, he definitely looks like a cross of Goliath from Gargoyles and Clifford, the big, big red dog. Well, nobody alerts Hamilton Emergency Services and worries about what her little brother is going to do to her now that she had to blow her cover. But apparently Superboy is slightly allergic to red furry demon beast thingy's hair and gives a mighty sneeze of frost breath, which freezes Goliath's wings. Now, this wouldn't have been too bad if for the fact that they were a couple hundred feet in the air and the only one of the three who can fly just had his wings frozen into popsicles. Well, as the kids are falling, Goliath dies after them and catches them. He takes the full brunt of the impact with the ground, and it was at this moment that I immediately wanted a Goliath plushie toy. Oh, you know what, friends? You know what would be even better? How about a little baby demon uh, plushie toy? You know, the, the baby demon uh, from that one Justice League episode where they all get turned into kids? And he's holding a plushie Goliath. So, you know, you have the little baby, Edric, and he was so cute to begin with, and you have a little plushie Goliath, and DC Marketing, call me! This needs to happen! <laughs> well, the impact with the ground has knocked young Superboy out.
He awakens in a clock tower in the middle of Gotham City with a bunch of medical sensors attached to him. Apparently, the person Maya had been talking to was none other than Damian Wayne, the current Robin. Well, apparently young Robin wanted to run some tests on Superboy to see what kind of threat he might represent. Well, that's not too much unlike his dad, to be honest. However, there was just one small, insignificant, tiny, microscopic issue with this. He didn't run it past Batman, and his dad is not too happy. Arriving in the clock tower, Batman immediately orders da orders Robin to release Superboy before it's too late. Well, those are famous last words, because as soon as he finishes saying them, bursting through the clock tower is a very ticked-off dad of steel. Knocking Robin aside, Superman frees Superboy from the medical table and is pretty much just about ready to whip the rip the wings off both a bat and a bird. Well, Batman breaks out a kryptonite batarang, and, you know, again, I love how my spell checker on Google Docs did not flash on any of this, by the way. And we have a two-page splash of the two super dads about to reenact the final battle of Batman v Superman all over again, and as much as I hate to admit it, I'd like to have seen this. Well, trying to calm his dad and get his attention, John doesn't ha hasn't had any luck. So finally, he stops, he separates the group with a blast of freeze breath. Well, our Man of Steel calms down at the reveal of a new power his son has and how he missed another of John's first steps. Well, remember Arrival when his powers manifested friends? Clark wasn't around, and in a pretty touching moment, both Bruce and Clark have a dad moment, and the situation cools down. Wanting to run some further tests, Batman and Superman take their boys back to the Batcave, and we get some great little Alfred moments and dialogue, and again, even more parental bonding between the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Now, remember, friends, this Batman and Superman don't have a strong relationship yet. Uh, the the Batman Superman knew no longer exists, and the Superman that this Batman knew died. So they're really starting out fresh and kind of feeling each other out. So it's it's nice to see the, uh, see this relationship actually develop. And then, uh, as John is being taken through a tour of the Batcave, we are introduced to the true star of this book. Are you ready to cue up the music, Harley? Bat cow, bat cow, bat cow, bat cow. Yes, we have bat cow, and also, and also, Harley, Harley, okay, okay, okay. You can have, can have the mic. Just put, put the claws away. Put the claws away. <laughs> as cool as Black Cow is, you know that Alfred Kitty of Damien's is one fine feline. Meow. Harley, you you do know he's a drawing, right? Meow. A girl can look, can't she? I seem to recall that issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws with Starfire in the bikini, where you okay, okay. <clears throat> Point taken, Harley. <laughs> 
So, yes, we are introduced to Bat Cal, Alfred, Kitty of the Demon, and Titus, oh, excuse me, Ace, no, I'm sorry, it's Titus, the Bat Hound. <laughs> so, as we have a sort of nice moment between the two boys and quite possibly a uh, challenge of the Super Pets uh, spin-off comic brewing, Damien decides to spoil a nice moment and push the really, really, really wrong button with John. And in a single one-page splash in the issue, well, it's a good thing young Master Wayne was wearing Kevlar and John was holding back. Otherwise, we'd have to bring Damien back from the dead. Again. <laughs> well, Alfred the Bat Kitty is having none of this and starts clawing John. And Har Harley, why, why are you drilling on my comic? You, you know that's on my tablet. That's that's really not good for it. <laughs> oh, am, am I going to have... Okay, okay we're, we're going to have to have a talk after the episode. Well, the two young superheroes start wrestling and tearing through the Batcave, even accidentally catching poor Alfred, the, the butler, not, not the kitty, in the crossfire. Well, this sets off Damien and... The battle rages into the armory. Damien grabs the kryptonite batarang. John is about to fire off heat vision, which, you know, isn't a good thing since he can't control it. So, yeah, he could pretty much incinerate uh, Damien without even trying. When the two super dads come in and break up the fight. And if you think your parents are scary when they give you the look, well, <laughs> think about how scary it would be when you get not just Batman's version of it. Now, this is the version that, you know, breaks hardened criminals into, you know, whimpering masses of crying goo. But you also get Superman's and the glowing red eyes. Well, the boys sum it up best in the final line of the issue as they both go, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, they know they're in for it. <laughs> Okay, well, before I get into the notes, I have to say this one thing, friends. I really do. Patrick Leeson and Peter J. Tomasi know how to write the Superman family, and it is such a joy to say that the Superman book under their hands is firing on all cylinders, and I'm so happy. And in fact, once the eventual omnibus of this run is available, well, I've got a special place on my bookshelf for it. And not just the bookshelf where, you know, you store books and you never read them. No, this is on the bookshelf where I actually pull things off of to read. <laughs> it's my comfort shelf. You know, you, you feel a little down, you pull out a, your favorite book and go over it. Well, it, let's go into a few of my favorite points of the issue. So, it's John's first Christmas break from his new school, and he acts like any of us did, hightailing it to the door as fast as he can. But, you know, along the way, he stops to pick up some trash that's been strewn about throughout the hallway, so that's some good parenting Lois and Clark have done, and, and I appreciate that. Good good job, parents. And, to be fair, this is probably more Lois's influence, because, boy, do I have some stuff to talk about in the next issue. So... I'm guessing Maya is about John's age, maybe a little older, and yeah, he's smitten with her. Now, he probably doesn't realize it yet, but yeah, he's smitten, or as uh, Bambi, as Thumper would say, Twitter-pated. <laughs> oh wait, no, that was that was the owl, wasn't it? You know, I really need to rewatch Bambi. So, you know, I hope that in the next decade or two, these two grow up and become a couple. I really do. Just... 
Kids, can, can I ask this one thing, please? Please do not reenact that scene from that Teen Titans annual right before Infinite Crisis where Connor Kent, who had been the Superboy at that time, and Cassie Sandsmark, who had been Wonder Girl at that time, well, <laughs> they um, took their relationship to the next level in the Kent barn. And unlike Ma and Pa Kent, Clark has super hearing, so he'll know when his boy is up to something. And I guarantee you, he'll have a good long talk with his son. And trust me, any Pa Kent talk is not something you want to have. I mean, just ask Clark Kent from the Smallville TV series after he got caught with uh, Lana. <laughs> John Snyder was not a happy Pa Kent. Even I was scared on that one. So, hopefully I haven't lost you in all that Clark Kent. Yeah, there's a lot of Clark. <laughs> There's a lot of Kent stuff around here. Now, we also learn through the dialogue with Kathy that something happened to this poor girl. She says that being careful and controlling fear is what keeps people from danger and that she's had to learn it the hard way. So, what happened to this poor, sweet, blonde, freckle-faced girl? Now, also, for those of you wondering what I meant by epic shirt zip and not shirt rip, well, John doesn't wear an S-Shield t-shirt, but he has an S-Shield jacket now. So, when I say epic shirt zip, it's he takes off some glasses that his dad's given him to, you know, hide his identity, stands up a little bit more erect, his hair actually changes a little, he gives us a big zip, and the kid just gets a huge confidence boost. It's really, really nice to see. And also, okay... Creepy Swamp, you win. And, John, you really need to get the heat vision under control. You you made Smokey the Bear cry. And do you like that, John? Are you proud of yourself, a crying Smokey the Bear? No, of course not. You're a good kid. I know you would have put out the fire. Now, I have no idea where Maya, a.k.a. Nobody, or Goliath came from, but I really need to find out. I love these two. But there's one thing in the art I have to mention. It's a nitpick, but it's there because it's really clear and it's an oopsie. Well, when John is rescued by Maya and Goliath, he loses his shoes. They clearly come off, they're untied, and they're falling to the ground. I mean, it's pretty obvious. The shoes are right next to the title of the issue. And they're, you know, a good three feet off of John's feet. So it's pretty clear. So, unless John has tactile telekinesis, he should be in socks for the remainder of the issue. Yet, in the very next panel we see his feet in, the shoes are right back on. So, yeah, there was an oopsie here. Huh. I wonder if he does have tactile telekinesis. That'd be even cooler. If, if we made John as cool as Connor... Ooh. <laughs> I, could, I could be happy with that. And Goliath saving the kids. Who is he? Who is this red furry demon beast thingy? I must know! Now, also, I have to be fair to Damien. I can kind of understand his mistrust of John. Damien has a pet kitty named Alfred. And Damien knows what happened to Goldie. So, okay. You get a point, Damien. Meow! Harley? We'll talk. You can have the tablet when we're done, okay? 
Okay, Clark is understandably upset. And note to himself, don't kidnap his son or there will be consequences. Copyright Emily Middleton, all rights reserved. And the dialogue of Superman realizing what all he's missed is just incredible. And we also get a little bit of humanity from Batman as he says, I missed a lot of Damien's first steps too. And Damien goes, less ice, more blood. And, you know, it's just, it's a nice moment between the fathers and the sons. And that's kind of what I enjoy the most about these issues is these little father and son moments. And, you know, <laughs> it's nice to know that there is someone Batman can't find because nobody's suit is actually like a super advanced cloaking device. So <laughs> when... The way Batman found out that Damien kidnapped John was, um, so, well, to find John was he hacked the Justice League computer. Batman found out and he went, who hacked it? And nobody, and he goes, nobody. And nobody's, you know, turning on his suit and going, cloaking device, don't fail me now. <laughs> but uh, Superman is able to find him and, you know, gives a nice little smile. And uh, so he's not too mad and darn it, he's just. You get a smile from Superman, you feel good. I don't care. You could be the worst criminal. You get a smile from Superman, it's a good day. Now, it, we also, there's a running gag that everybody keeps calling Goliath a man-bat, but Damien keeps saying he's not a man-bat, so what exactly is he? I, want, I really want to know. And John keeps getting under Damien's skin throughout the issue, too, throughout the story, too, because... He'll, he's talking to Maya and he says, yeah, oh, hey, Maya, if you're going to go get some food, you might want to get some worms for this little Robin. You know, it looks like he needs some growing to do because Damien's about a good head sh shorter than John, and it's just great because he, they keep ribbing each other on the height. <laughs> you know, Damien will rib on John for being a, you know, hillbilly farm boy, and John throws it right back into his face as being quite a bit smaller. And we get classic Alfred Pennyworth retorts. And, you know, when I used to read it, I always heard the uh, Ethram Zimbalist from, who played Alfred in the Batman the Animated Series. And, but now, I also hear a little Jeremy Irons from time to time with the witty comeback. So, I, I, okay, I gotta give Batman v Superman another point for that. And, uh... There's just, and like I mentioned, there's a really great bit of dialogue between um, Clark and Bruce as they're going over uh, John's test results. Don't forget to edit this part out. Okay, so I'll just start with uh, Clark's, Clark. Clark speaks first. Do you think when we were kids, our dads had this many questions raising us? And Batman replies, yes, all good fathers do. Oh, that's great. That is a nice little moment. I am so happy for it. 
And like I mentioned, Bat Cow. What what more needs to be said about Bat Cow? <laughs> now, Damien, here's a piece of advice, son. Don't antagonize someone about a traumatic experience they went through regarding their mother. Especially when that someone is half Kryptonian. It's a very good thing John held back, otherwise... We need another Robin. <laughs> and I know I'm coming off as a broken record, but John really, really needs to learn control. I mean, poor Alfred catches a tail in a frost breath, and, you know, that really sets Damien off, and I can't fault him for it. Not this time. Because from the little I have read from him, he really sees Alfred more as his father than Bruce. And, you know, in fact, I think I'll cover this relationship a bit more in detail once the first arc of the new Teen Titans series finishes, because, yeah, I mean, as much as Alfred was a dad to Dick, he's really more of a father to Damien, and it's it's interesting. It's, it's a very interesting thing. So, our heroes are in trouble. Their dad's are a little upset at the mess they made of the Batcave. So, what horrors await them? Tune in next week. Same Bat Time, Satan, Bat Channel, and... Wait, what, what Harley? Meow, 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 meow. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I can do... Meow, you... I know I said it was a super special episode. Meow! Oh, okay. Meow, meow, meow. Oh, oh, okay, no, I do not have Alfred the Kitty's phone number, okay? Meow, meow, meow. Oh, okay, okay. If he's on Twitter, I'll let him know. Meow. Okay, okay. Now, hush for a minute so I can tell our friends what's going on. <clears throat> well, <laughs> like I said, we're doing a supersized episode because my executive producer has insisted on it, and I'm pretty scared of her. <laughs> yeah, she's the one who keeps this thing running, so without her, I'm in trouble. So, we'll take a quick break. I'm going to refill my tea mug, plug a promo for another great show. I'm not quite sure which one yet. <laughs> Probably the Fantastic Cast. I need to give Andy Leyland some... Uh, he, he did me a favor, so I need to pay him back. So, we'll take just a short break, and I'll cover the second half of this amazing story. Okay. We open our story somewhere on a snowy mountaintop. Yes, we're back to not having exact locations, so I'm just going to say a snowy mountaintop in the Himalayas. Well, apparently our two young heroes are in a bit of a bind, as they've been stripped of their capes, emblems, and their boots. Now, okay, I can understand the first two, but the last one? They're in a snowy climate with no footwear. That's bad parenting, guys. I mean, if Lois saw this, Clark, she's going to go ballistic. Talia, not so much. I think she'd probably view it as some sort of endurance test of something. But Lois? Clark, you really, really must like your sofa, my friend. I mean, this is not cool. Well, the two boys reach an abandoned monastery complete with a few dead hiker skeletons. So, yeah, again, way to go there, dads on the not completely you're traumatizing your 10 year old sons shame on you clark bruce i can understand clark pa ken's wagging his finger clark 
when a sudden avalanche tosses the two boys around like ragdolls. While John is knocked off the edge of a cliffside and is struggling to climb back up. Damien ignores John's plight because, well, he's sure that Superman is hovering around somewhere in case they get into any serious trouble. While reaching a stump, the boys retrieve most of their costumes and, most importantly, their shoes. However, there's a note on the stump declaring that a game of Queen of the Hill is about to begin and the two boys ready for an attack by nobody. No, uh, not... Maya. <laughs> They're being attacked by Maya, whose name is nobody. Let's let's just... Yeah. Oh, I can see this is going to be confusing. <laughs> well, in, the ne in a pretty epic Fighting McFightingstein, copyright Andrew Leland, all rights reserved, it's a pretty nice fight because neither of the boys has x-ray vision, and like I said, Maya's cloaking device is a pretty nifty trick. So the two boys pretty much get their clocks cleaned. Unfortunately, one of Maya's powers is a sonic blaster, and it causes John's powers to go wonky, and I'm not entirely sure how, but he fires off a blast of heat vision that causes an even bigger avalanche. Well, Maya grabs a hold of the two boys and skis down the mountainside on an old door from the monastery. Well, at the bottom of the mountain, Damien decides he's had enough of his dad's little lesson, and as Maya and John are recovering, he breaks into Maya's backpack, takes back his Robin emblem, a map, and the two airline tickets home, and leaves the two in the dust. Well, Maya and a not-so-subtle, yeah, in about six years she's taking our young Superboy to prom kind of way, hands John the final piece of his costume, the zipper to his S-jacket. So we get our second epic shirt zip of the story, and John takes off after Damien. Well, Damien gets taken to task again for his arrogance, as he finds out that the train was a bit of a trap as our lovable furry red demon beast thingy Goliath comes bursting out of a train car and proceeds to lay the smackdown on the young Robin. In a scene straight out of Superman the movie, John catches up to the train, hops on, and in another scene of epic fighting McFightingstein for the issue, and again, copyright Andrew Leyland, all rights reserved, with the th three combatants, erupts. But with a little quick thinking, a train car of fish and one hungry for a red demon beast thingy, the boys easily overcome the challenge. Until they find out that the train they're on is abandoned and running on remote control and the bridge over the massive valley of, you know, death that they're approaching is no longer there. So, to avoid, you know, the uh, going down with the ship, so to speak, they decide to play a little fetch. Uh, so John decides to play a little fetch with Goliath, throws a big tune into the air, and as Goliath flies off after it, the boys hop on to the not-a-man-bat, and seriously, he's not a man-bat, and streak off into the night, heading back to Gotham. Oh, and in case you're wondering... Yes, if anything did go wrong, Superman was nearby to prevent the death and return of the sidekick story arc that was just waiting to happen. And also, so he could, you know, 
not have to tell Lois. <laughs> He's more scared of her than Doomsday, I think. And rightly so. During the night, the boys actually begin to bond a little and start to become friends. A little. It's tiny. Microscopic. Okay, more like atomic, but, you know, it's there. <laughs> well, arriving home, they find out that there's apparently a Category 2 hurricane in Gotham Harbor, which has been caused by a certain man of steel, and, you know, friends, we're just going to gloss over how this little lesson in friendship could have completely been catastrophic to an entire, you know, harbor's worth of dock workers and shipping containers and, you know, trade, and just move on with the story. Well, working together about as well as polar opposites can, the two put poor Goliath through the ringer, and the three end up crashing into a nearby garbage barge. Getting a rather nice moral lesson from the Man of Steel himself, the two end up bonding over getting airsick as a result of the crazy flight of Goliath, and Superman flies back to the Batcave. Well, one later, upon arriving at the cave, the two boys find that their fathers and Alfred are being hung upside down from the ceiling by a new adversary that John names Mr. Squish. Now, this is a very interesting villain because Mr. Squish is apparently a creation of Batman's made up of the DNA of Joker, Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, and Clayface. And the art is amazing with this thing because we see tons of faces and Parts of the different villains come out of this ooze sludge monster, and there's tons of rainbow colors flashing through it. Uh, there's like dozens of, you know, clown faces and um, uh, killer croc arms and scales, and it's just a visual treat. That's all I can say about it. But I do have to question that even that this thing's made, since this thing's made up of DNA, how parts of Joker's suit and Mr. Freeze's helmet show up in this thing, but, you know, it's just a visual representation, and this is still such a cool-looking monster, I can't fault it. Well, taking a pretty good beating, the boys are getting trounced, and Superman is just about ready to call this test quits, but he is stopped by Batman. Batman has seen that the danger to their loved ones is drawing the boys together. Well, with a combination freeze breath and dragon kick, the two boys knock the monster into the river at the base of the cave. Later, our two super dads find no trace of the monster. So, I'm absolutely positive that this Frankenstein monster, made up of the traits of the most dangerous villains of Batman's rogues gallery, oh, that can also shapeshift, won't, you know, ever come back to threaten the innocent civilians of Gotham City again. Nope, not going to ever again. And you know, friends, if the Gothamites knew what the Superheads were doing, you know, the hurricane, re potentially releasing a weapon of mass destruction just as a, you know, get-along-or-else lesson, you know, I'd be as ticked as the people in Batman v Superman. So, okay, movie, you get another point. Okay, I'll give you two points. Okay, you get two more because of Wonder Woman and Alfred, so you get four. That's it. That's all the points you're getting. Well, our story ends back in Hamilton, where our heroes start looking for a Christmas tree for each other's home. Clark and Bruce again share a pretty great dad bonding moment, with the Dark Knight actually cracking a smile. Okay, DC, 
we need to talk, friends. First, you brought back editor's notes. Now there's a smiling Bruce Wayne. Are you really, really trying to give me a heart attack of sheer delight, or is this just a happy accident? Either way, I'm very happy. But the two boys start a little bit of a tussle again, and our super dads learn that there still is some assembly required for these two super sons, which is coming out early next year by the same creative team, and yes, I have already pre-ordered my subscription. Oh, what did I think of this issue? Well, it was great. This is definitely more of the fighty issue than the other issue because that was more set up. But it was still pretty good. Now, the opening scene with the boys tussling with Maya is well done. It kind of got a little confusing for me because we see Robin's costume go flying during Maya's first attack only to have it in the very next panel be folded neatly with John's. And here's how you do really awesome exposition, my friends. I mean, this is... And now Comixology just decided to crap out on me. Thank you, Comixology. And it's just Damien and... And John going up the mountain. And John just says, How did we get here? And Damien's like, How did I end up in this rental boot camp with you? And John just goes, Well, our dads took away our super stuff after we wrecked the genetics lab, remember? It was a rhetorical question, simpleton. <laughs> yeah, three panels. And we're done with all the exposition we needed from the previous episode. That's how you do it. Okay, Bruce and Clark, you really, really, I mean seriously, really need some parenting glasses. Because not only did they send their kids out into a Himalayan wilderness complete with, you know, dead bodies of trapped hikers, but they did it without shoes. I mean, are they trying to give their kids frostbite? <sighs> what, what were they thinking? Seriously? Now... Maya saving the two boys is epic in its epicness. I mean, I really want to know about her, and I hope she gets her own mini-series or, you know, even a full spin-off series with her and Goliath, like that one Marvel series with the little girl who I don't remember her name and, and Devil Dinosaur. And now I really want a crossover of that with them. Darn it! Why do I keep thinking of these things that I can never have? <laughs> and... Yeah, Maya is totally sweet on John, so in about six, maybe seven years, Katie, okay, Kathy may have some competition. And it's great to see Damien eat some humble pie, because I hope he evolves a bit more, but, you know, I'm happy with this lovable jerk. And, you know, actually, I think he reminds me a bit of Guy Gardner, actually, and, wait, what's that? Huh. You know, friends? I think I just heard a laugh that I've missed for a very long time. Hmm. Also, apparently this remote-controlled train had the motorcycle from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade aboard. Why? For a totally freaking awesome panel of the two boys riding it. That's all it served. It didn't have any other purpose. <laughs> 
So, you know, it's also nice to know that Batman is willing to spend millions of dollars in property damage to help teach his son a lesson. I mean, that that's a good parent, right? Right? And, okay, we need to talk about some problems I have. Now, the abandoned hut monastery place on the mountainside, the remote-controlled train. Okay. Okay, I can live with that. But, you know, causing a hurricane right off Gotham Harbor that could have been really disruptive for all the, you know, the regular people working there. I mean, that that was not a good idea, Clark. That was really not a good idea. And, you know, Batman deciding to play Dr. Frankenstein using materials of his most deadliest enemies. Yeah, this won't eventually end up biting him in the cape. Nope, not once, not whatsoever. And finally, there was an epic one-page splash of Alfred standing proudly behind the boys with the shadows of their fathers behind him, and it is just plain awesome. You know, if someone removed the caption box, I would want this as a poster on my wall. I am not kidding about that. That is how great this little uh, one-page splash is. And, you know, it's nice to see a couple ten-year-old boys rib each other and but it's not so nice when, as a result, a minor forest fire started. So, yeah, the super dads have their work cut out for them. But, like I mentioned, there's a really great little bonding moment between Clark and Bruce, and I'm just going to read the dialogue. And it, this is Bruce starting. Huh. Our fathers will be proud of this. It's not so hard. I guess boys will figure it out along the way. Huh. With a bump and scrape or two. So, yeah, like I said, Batman is cracking a half smile. It's there. I mean, it's just... I never thought I would ever see that. Huh. <sighs> So, my friends, thank you for joining me. And in my final opinion, these were two fun issues. I am so happy that Superman is once again flying high, and also that there is so much goodness in DC right now. Also, I recommend spending the six bucks needed to get these two issues, because they're just plain fun. And that is something I have not seen in comics, especially DC comics, in so very, very long. It's been amazing. I've enjoyed so much talking about these with you, my friends. These, like I said, were two issues I had been looking forward to for, like, three months. And thank you again for tagging along with me on the supersized episode. And know that I appreciate all the time you give me by listening and carrying on about some things I love. Also, to give you a heads up, my friends, there will not be an episode coming next week. The reason being is that I will be working on the most important episode of the show that I have done or will ever do, no matter how long this uh, podcast runs. And I want it perfect for its release date. I have run into a few small bumps along the road with it, but nothing that can't be ironed out. But I really want it to be the best thing I've ever done, because it's a special one. And... It is a bit of a somber episode, so even though there will be jokes in the episode, I 
I would honestly recommend tissues for this one because this episode will be a memorial to an absent friend and fellow podcaster. And I'm going to mention this in that episode, but right now I also want to thank everyone who um, gave their support and encouragement for this episode. I want to publicly thank everyone who uh, contributed to the episode and I'm really excited for it but I'm also completely scared to death about it so I only hope that I can do it the justice it deserves so until next time my friends have a great morning and in case I don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night Tangents Abound is a free podcast. No money is made in the production or distribution of this podcast. All opinions expressed on the show are the uh, opinions of those on the show and shouldn't be taken too seriously, so there's no need to hop on Facebook and get all antsy about it. Any audio clips used on the show are for entertainment or are for education or review purposes only, and all copyrighted material is owned by their respective copyright owners and no infringement is intended. Whew! Well, that was a long one. (laughs) Whew! Ah, it's over. (laughs) All right. Harley, where's my tablet? Harley? Harley, come back here! Get back here with that tablet!